Kolov went to trial and was found guilty for being a heretic. Oh god, the horror. Mm -hmm. But he got off easy in comparison to the historical survival rate of heretics and was just imprisoned in a clerical prison for a year. <laughs> clerical prison? That's yeah. so bad! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Aaron, why are you a frog? What? What? You're a frog. You're wearing a tiny suit and a red tie. No? This is what I always wear. Where do you find a tiny suit? <laughs> Look at you asking all the questions. I have a question for you, James. Why are you a rabbit? I'm not. Yes, you are. You're hopping all over the place. Well, so are you. God, what did we eat? I don't remember eating anything unusual. Carrots, various leaves. Oh shit, I just ate that fly. This is bad. Lord of History must be behind this. Undoubtedly. Well, it can't be permanent, can it? I mean, we have to heal from this eventually. Where are my essential oils? It's not that I mind being cute and cuddly. Women touch me now. <laughs> Nobody wants to touch a frog. Too slimy. Look, True. my clothes are getting damp. This is bullshit! Let's just get this podcast out of the way so we can get to the emergency room. Alright. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? Donald Trump and Ted Cruz. <laughs> they're not dead! How do you know? Just because they're up and walking around doesn't mean they're alive. Mm, okay, okay, enough joking around. Who do we really have this week? Francis Schaefer and Boltoff... Boltoffson. <laughs> Stop joking around. <laughs> I'm not joking. These are the people we're doing. They sound boring. Well, I don't know if they are. We'll just have to see. To the history lab! Two men. One, the only heretic burned alive in Sweden. The other, a famous philosopher and theologian who built an academy in France. These people are known for their piety and faith, and has have got. These men are known for their piety and faith, and have gone down in history as a pair of the most influential people in Christian history. Is that true? Not at all. <laughs> These men are known for their piety and faith, and have gone down in history as a pair of uh thinkers. <laughs> So, if I had to guess your least favorite music, I would say it's probably a combination of traditional Cuban folk music, uh -huh. <laughs> as well as Bosnian bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to choose your least favorite kind of music, I would definitely say heavy metal. Yeah. Least favorite. It's, it's your least favorite. For sure. Uh, you just fucking hate heavy metal, don't you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why there's this tower of heavy metal CDs right next to me, right? I want to burn them. Yeah. Well, they're there for the they're there for the record burnings of the 1980s. Exactly. So. There we go. Uh, uh, well, you know, you know when that happened, uh, a lot of people got sick from the poisonous fumes emitted from burning vinyl. Wow. And I bet they attribute it to like demons or whatever. <laughs> Probably. Being <inside. laughs> uh, well, uh, good stuff. Uh, computer, please bring up Francis Schaefer and B what's his name? B Bortol. Uh, Botolf Botolfson. <laughs> Bot Bring up Francis Schaefer and Botolf Botolfson. Affirmative, my lord. So, uh, why don't you start? Uh, Francis Schaefer. 
is best known for being a theologically conservative thinker and writer for the American evangelical movement. Hmm. Mm. What do you look like? Well, uh, if Benjamin Franklin had an affair with a goat, oh, would be the God. result. He's bored, tired, and sad, looks fairly unchilled out in all of his photos. Oh, yeah. but, dear. You know, not a bad-looking guy. Just a... Just sort of funny looking in a general huh. sort of way. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is Botolf Botolfsson best known for? Botolf Botolfsson is... <laughs> and I'm going to say that as many times as possible today. <laughs> uh, is best known for being the only confirmed case of a heretic being burned at the stake in Sweden. Oh. Uh, the only one. Yeah, I guess so. Sweden's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> yeah. With the burnings. Yeah. So if you're a heretic, move to Sweden. Uh, Botolf, Botolfsson. Botolf sounds like Balto's like half brother <laughs> who wasn't a success and you know yeah. didn't <laughs> save a city or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Botolf. <laughs> so uh, what did he look like? Well, Botolf Botolfsson looked like a Swedish gem. Ah. Six feet tall, long blonde hair, blue eyes, and a perfect beard. So we're getting into, like, uh, Harold Hardrada again, aren't we? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, except Harold was Norwegian. Oh! Uh, you. And there's a huge difference between okay. Norwegian and Swedes. At least both of them say so. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to Botolf. Uh, he spent most of his time driving a Volvo, eating pickled <laughs> fish and Swedish meatballs, selling cheap but crappy furniture... <laughs> Getting angry over an instruction manual on how to assemble said <laughs> furniture, being a socialist, oh being a chef with the Muppets, what? and running an extremely popular YouTube channel. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that just sounds like a list of uh, Swedish stereotypes to me. Mm. Oh, well, <laughs> it, it might be. <laughs> might be. Uh, uh, he lived in the early thir 1300s, so um, take everything or leave it. Okay, so basically all of history. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, what? let's say we... You know, break right into Francis Schaeffer's early life. Okay. Okay. So Francis was born in Germantown, Pennsylvania in 1912. Ah. Yeah. Not surprisingly, he is of German ancestry, hmm. because he was born in Germantown and his name is <laughs> Francis Schaeffer. Um, uh. His childhood is largely underreported, mm. uh, but most of the resources on his life are from evangelical sources, so the focus is mostly on like his Christian mission, marriage, work uh, as an apologist, and whatnot. Sure, sure. From what I can find, though, it seems like he had like a fairly normal upbringing. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, he didn't become a Christian as a young child. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was no forceful conversion of any kind at a really young age. In fact, he became a Christian after he said he read the Bible cover to cover at 17. Wow. Which is funny, because if I read the Bible from cover to cover at 17, my first thought would not be... I need to get into this. <laughs> right. um, anyway, uh, so he was super interested in philosophy, uh, but found most philosophical answers to life's biggest questions to be insufficient. Okay, fair when enough. When he read the Bible, however, he claims that he found the answers there. Ah. Uh-huh. So <laughs> this deeply affected his work, and his theological writings were always extremely evangelical, which means that he believed in the doctrine of like scriptural scriptural inerrancy, which is to say that the Bible is never, ever wrong at all, not even a little bit. Mm, yeah. uh, now, it might benefit our listeners to know a little bit uh, about what James and I were raised on. We were both raised evangelical, yep. so Francis Schaeffer is not a new name to us. Not at all. Uh, we've both read Schaeffer's writings, have been steeped in his philosophy, all the rest. Um, biblical inerrancy is a major doctrine in evangelicalism. So, if you're an evangelical listening to this, first of all, we love you. You're this okay. Yep. Second of all, don't let your mom catch you listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and third, you probably already know all about Francis Schaeffer, but did you know that he graduated magnum cum laude from Hamden Sydney College and got married in the 
the same year to his wife, Edith, who he loved dearly? Whoa. No? Sweet! (laughs) (laughs) After graduating, Francis enrolled in seminary at Westminster, where he studied under professors who also professed the doctrines of biblical inerrancy. Mm. Uh, But this didn't last long. Eventually, he he transferred transferred (laughs) to the cleverly named Faith Theological Seminary. It's fairly descriptive. Uh, Graduated in 1938. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, Faith Theological Seminary identified itself as fundamentalist and premillennialist. And ah. for our listeners who don't know uh, what premillennialist is or fundamentalism or anything, and as long as you weren't raised evangelical, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> consider yourself lucky. Yes. <laughs> um, but for those of you who don't know. Uh, fundamentalist evangelicalism is basically Jesus camp, but a little more fascist and a whole lot more boring. <laughs> well um, said. <laughs> premillennialism is the doctrine that Jesus will come back to Earth before the thousand years of uh, a golden age of peace on Earth. Uh, this is to say that premillennialists believe <laughs> that Jesus will rule on Earth for a thousand years before Judgment Day. So basically, if Jesus comes back, don't worry, you have a thousand years to convert. Sweet. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, premillennialism has a long history of being considered heretical. Really? Saint Irenaeus wrote a whole book on the subject, basically saying that it's bullshit, and anyone who believes is believes it is dumb. Hmm. Yeah. Irenaeus took the much more uh, understandable view of postmillennialism, which is to say that Jesus will return after, not before, a thousand years. Years of peace. Uh, now that makes more sense to me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Schaefer's really getting uh, the full fundamentalist treatment. Good. Uh, but he's a thinker. Huh? Uh, while he holds a lot of these really hard doctrines and beliefs that fall under Christian fundamentalism, he's also known for being a really, really good thinker. Hmm. And he is. I've read his stuff. If anyone's thought Christianity through, it's Francis Schaefer. Yeah. But what's interesting is that even his son, Frank Schaefer, <laughs> he named his son Frank, <laughs> uh, notes uh, he wrote, wrote a book called Patience with God. Uh, and he says that his father, Francis, held these doctrines um, and could argue for them, but he wasn't really a big fan of doing so. Huh. That's right. Francis Schaefer believed a whole bunch of things he didn't agree with and didn't like because he had worked himself up a logical fortress that was pretty much inescapable. Wow. But that's fairly that. yeah, it's fairly <laughs> common among, among evangelicals, to be honest. The logic is sound, but the premises are absurd. It's <laughs> a lot like knowing the lore of Doctor Who, but also believing that Doctor Who actually exists because you know the lore really well. It's kind of backwards. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So Schaefer starts working as a pastor in Pennsylvania and also Missouri at one point. He joins the Presbyterian Church, and in 1948, he makes his famous move to Switzerland, where he establishes a community called Labry, which is uh, French for the shelter. Hmm. And we'll talk a lot more about Labry when we get back to Schaefer. But for now, let's jump on over to James's historical figure and leave Schaefer in Switzerland. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Botolf Botolfson. Yes. <laughs> so uh, let's just dive right in. Yeah. We don't know when Botolf Botolfson was born, <laughs> what his family life was like, what he did, or what Swedish girl he had a crush on. Ah. Because let's be honest. Yeah. We've all had a crush on a Swedish girl. Oh, you better <laughs> believe it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all we know, though, is that he was a peasant, was from the little town of Ostby, and, mm. ha- and had a dad also named Botolf. <laughs> a lot of Botolfs. That's the Botolfson. <laughs> Uh, we also know that he was a Roman Catholic and attended Mass regularly. Oh, a good little Botol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is relevant to the story later on, and uh, that's about it. Now, Aaron, I was thinking that a good way to dive into the mindset of Botolf Botolfsson would be by doing a bit of roleplay. Oh, I love roleplay. Yes, uh, but just a bit of clarification. This is non-bedroom roleplay. Okay, so if Botolf Botolfsson is a Swedish farmer living in the late 1200s and early 1300s, what do you think he was thinking and or doing on a daily basis? Uh, Ikea. (laughs) 
These Swedish jokes are never going to end. Well, audience, we are going to find out. So, Aaron, here's the deal. We are going to pretend that we are medieval Swedish farmers out in the fields and having a conversation about our mundane lives. Sound good? Um... I actually have no idea what a Swedish accent sounds like. Great! This little exercise will hopefully allow us to better understand the man who was Botolf Botolfsson. Ready? Ready. Let's begin. My dear Sven, I have found some black spots in my armpits. Oh dear. I hear it might be the plague. Oh, what plague? Which plague? The plague of the end of the world. Ah, so the, the black plague. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, my dear Sven, yeah. how are you doing? Well, the Slavic raiders carried off my sheep last week. How many sheep did the Slavic raiders steal? They stole 13. 13? 13. 13. 13 sheep. Life is hell. It's 1,200. <laughs> we still think diseases are demons. <laughs> hell, Odin. <laughs> well, um, all in all, I'd say that experiment was a complete failure. Oh, yeah? Oh, God Shut. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually depressed about this all. We need to take a break. I need to take a break to go get my sheep back. I don't even know what that sounds like. That is not Swedish. I don't know. We apologize to all our Swedish listeners. We don't know what you sound like. (laughs) Welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. And this is my sultry jazz channel voice. I'm still looking for work. You're just full of the voices today. <laughs> so many voices. At least it's not my Swedish one, though. That's I wonder what a sultry Swedish jazz person would say. Don't even like. try it. Next up on this, on this classic jazz channel, we have me. Ah, fuck. <laughs> okay, so, alright, we're, we're going back to Francis. Yep. Alright, so, Francis Shaver's adult life. Okay. And when we left Francis, he was in Switzerland. Right. In his little community called Labre. Now, looking into this place, I've discovered that it is pretty sweet. It was basically a badass chalet in the mountains Hmm. that people could live in for free and talk philosophy and religion. Wow. Yeah, great, right? There were four kinds of guests at Lobry. There were short-term guests, students, hospitality workers, and members who basically ran the house. Hmm. According to Francis's son, Frank, Lobry was a really wonderful place to grow up. Yeah, sounds like it. There were mountains and valleys to explore, a beautiful village nearby. It was pretty much a fantasy land, and you can tell that even though Francis's son no longer considers himself an evangelical, uh, he calls himself an atheist who believes in God, interestingly. Ah. Um, (laughs) And it may have some major problems with how he's brought up in religion, but he's still very fond of Lobry itself. Sure, how could you not? I know, it sounds badass. I wish I grew up in the Swiss mountains. (laughs) Spiritual paradise. (laughs) So Francis has this place set up, and to help with money, he starts releasing some of his lectures on tape. And he just gets super popular super fast. Hmm. In 1954, he's given an honorary Doctor of Divinity from a school in California, a Doctor of Letters from Gordon College in Massachusetts, and an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from Simon Greenleaf School of Law in Anaheim. Now, could you help me out with a sec- for a second? What does honorary degree mean? Uh, nothing. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's just we would give you a PhD if you actually earned it, but we're not going to make you go through this We just shit. like who you are and what, like yeah, what you say. I think so. I, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, Ravi Zacharias has like that's what reminded me of him yeah yeah and for those of you who don't know Ravi Zacharias is a famous Indian apologist for Christianity or something like that yeah so uh, anyway so Francis was kind of different he has a deep love for art philosophy and history which is largely considered unusual in the evangelical community 
Uh, he starts making videos where he tours various historical and artistic sites around Europe, directed toward an evangelical audience, uh, essentially for the purpose of eliminating some of the fears surrounding multiculturalism that was breeding in evangelicalism. Oh, wow. Yeah. So his son, Frank, reports that Francis had a variety of personas. Uh, often he was depressed, and sometimes he was verbally and physically abusive toward his wife, Edith. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so multiple levels to this character. And he's yeah. really interesting to read about. Uh, huh. But he would have dark spells where he just wouldn't come out of his room, from Jeez. what I understand. But uh, Frank, uh, Frank, remember Frank is Francis's son. He yep. was not very creative when he named him. Got it. Uh, Frank also reports that Francis and Edith were extremely open about sexuality, too. Hmm. Uh, which is extremely unusual in the evangelical movement. There is no sex in yeah, the evangelical there, there movement. There isn't. Nobody has sex. The children just sort of pop out of the ground. Um, Delivered by God in a chariot of flame. Yeah, we don't talk about sex. <laughs> uh, Frank says that Francis and Edith went to strip clubs together. Whoa! Yeah, talked about their sex lives openly. And were even okay with their kids getting busy with their partners in Lobbery when they came of age. Holy crap! I know. So it, apparently, and he is a con he's considered a conservative fundamentalist. Yes. Wow. And he considers himself that, but I guess he just didn't make a big deal out of sexual sin or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I mean, oddly enough, Francis sounds a lot like a happily liberal hippie, mm -hmm. but he is totally on board with fundamentalism too. Hmm. Uh, in the 70s, Francis essentially restarted political activism within fundamentalist communities by releasing a series of movies about abortions. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he called for fundamentalists to stand up against secular humanism in a series of films called Whatever Happened to the Human Race? Hmm. He wrote a book called A Christian Manifesto as a response to the humani Humanist and Communist Manifestos. Wow. Mm. In these books, he compares the Christian allowance of abortion to be the exact same thing as Germans allowing Nazis to carry out the Holocaust in World War II. So, obviously, he's... He's pretty angry He's about that. He's pretty angry yeah. about it. Wow. Um, while uh, Francis was pretty good at getting fundamentalists to get politically active, he was adamant about not establishing a theocracy anywhere. Okay. This made a lot of fundamentalists mad, and he felt some backlash from his own community. Nevertheless, Schaefer's book, A Christian Manifesto, sold nearly 300,000 copies in its Jeez. first year, and is credited by some scholars as the one, one of the most cited texts in the works of the Christian right. Wow. Yeah, it's also said to be the work that sparked the idea that evangelicals should do their best to take over secular society and establish a Christian government in the United States. Which, if you're not a part of this evangelical movement, yeah. it's happening. And like, that, yeah. they, we were raised that way. Yeah, that leads me into this personal anecdote. I mean, there are a lot of people who think that this is just sensationalism, that the Christian right is totally not interested in taking over the government, whatever. Uh, they are totally trying to do it. Yep. When I was a kid, I went to dozens of summer camps where the exact that exact message was drilled into our heads. Uh, we were called Generation Joshua, which is to say, we were the generation that would take back America for Christ. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely nuts. And I, I have to say, one of my experiences, I was raised in Illinois, and okay. we went to Springfield, the capital of Illinois, mm -hmm. uh, as a big Christian group, and they marched us around the uh, the Capitol buildings singing Onward Christian Soldiers. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I had a camp that I went to where the fire alarm went off or something while we were in the Indiana State House. Uh-huh. Uh, and we all went outside and they were like, let's sing! And so we were like singing hymns and mm. praying for the safety of everyone inside. There was no problem. Some kid brought a squirt gun into the State House and it caused a lockdown. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so... um. Uh, yeah, it is. It's real. <laughs> it's, it's real. Uh, and I think Francis would be horrified to know that his book partially fueled this movement. Yeah. Because in so many of his books, he talks about the importance of religious freedom, the need for a secular state, etc. Mm. But the problem with these little caveats is that he's not... He's about not actually wanting a theocracy is that he talks about theocracy and how America needs it, but doesn't want to use the word. In essence, okay. he prescribes theocracy and then says theocracy is not the answer. Cognitive dissonance hmm. is heavy in his works. 
Interesting. And speaking of his works, he wrote an absolute metric fuck-ton of books. <laughs> Many of them are philosophical in nature, but a good number of them are about the importance of the doctrine of biblical inerrancy and the trustworthiness of the Bible. Interestingly, Francis's son says that while Francis was interested in theology and proving the Bible right, he was actually more moved by things like beauty. Oh, wow. Uh, in Frank's book, Crazy for God, which is about growing up <laughs> with all these fundamentalists, right, yeah. uh, Frank talks about Francis's career as a theologian and his life behind the scenes, describing Francis as the kind of man who would prefer to take a long walk in the woods to connect with God, as opposed to the kind who studied theology ravenously in order to prove a point. Mm. Unfortunately, walks in the woods don't sell books, but hardline <laughs> fundamentalist Christianity really kind of does. <laughs> so you get this picture of a man who's kind of entrapped by the money and fame he's getting for his theology, which he doesn't enjoy all that much, but is unable to really live freely as he wants to. Uh, Labrie seems to itself seems to be like a liberated haven on the surface, yeah. but it was also entrapped within this toxic need to be theologically correct about every topic. Hmm. So in the 1950s, Francis had a spiritual crisis because of this exact thing. He knew all the doctrines, he knew all the defenses and apologetics for them, but his spiritual life was just dying. Hmm. Uh, so he took a ton of time to work through all his theology. Again, he came out of this and when... Um, I should say, he came out of this when he asked uh, Edith whether or not it would matter if everything about the Holy Spirit and prayer were removed from the Bible. Essentially, he was trying to figure out if the whole Bible was bunk, would that stop him from believing? Yeah. He decided it wouldn't. Hmm. <laughs> now, when we come back, we'll talk about Francis Schaeffer's end and death. You know, I gotta say, he's, he's interesting because he likes this kind of artsy beauty, mm -hmm. uh, as you described. And I know a lot of artists who grew up in the evangelical movement, mm -hmm. and they either A, had to stop being artists, or B just completely left the faith because it was the only way they could practice their artistic uh, Yeah, yeah, things, and actually yeah. that's that's Frank's story. Yeah. Um, he wanted to paint and he wanted... Oh, he's a painter, that's yeah, right. Frank is yeah. a painter. Um, he wanted to paint and that's where he found his happiness and at a certain point, um, he basically got sucked into his dad's ministry and started helping him make these, these hmm. films about abortion um, and he, he did some filmmaking work in California and whatnot um, and, you know, was fairly successful, but he was making most of his money off of Christian fundamentalism um, and then at a certain point, he just had this crisis where he's like, I can't do this anymore. Um, right. I think in his book, uh, Patience with God, he says mm -hmm. he was tired of being a different person around everyone, hmm. wow. uh, which is kind of interesting because that's exactly what Francis looks like. I mean, yeah. Francis Schaeffer was depressed and angry at home. Um, and, you know, he was this he was this speaker for, you know, apologists, apologies, uh, ism, apolo yep. apologetics and whatnot. Um and, uh, you know, he's meanwhile going to strip clubs and, you know, hmm. um, but anyway, so it's not, it's not, a lot of people will just yell hypocrisy. Um, and yes, yes it is, but it's a lot more complicated. Time, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah. You know, you got to feel for the guy. He got sucked into this. He got it worked up in his head about how important it was. Mm. Um, and then he sort of lost sight of everything that made him happy. I mean, one of the things that I loved about Frank's books, um, is talking about these fond memories that he has with his dad going for walks in the mountains and sure. things like that and that's where Francis was happy mm -hmm. um, but when it came to theology it just drove him nuts and you know he would spend days in his room just closed up um, but anyway so yeah I mean I recommend reading Francis's books or Frank's books I should say um, or both I or mean both. they're both good they're both good I mean yeah. if not I mean if nothing else reading Francis Schaeffer's books will give you a better view into what the Christian right is actually thinking yeah. Um, you know, because honestly, you can yell about the Christian right and whatnot being like crazy all you want, but if you don't understand them, you know, it's, I just, 
understanding them is so much more effective than just calling them crazy. Let's Once put it you that understand way. their mindset, you'll, it'll make more sense as to why they do the things they do. <laughs> yeah, and you can tell we're passionate about this because we've gone off script <laughs> for <laughs> quite a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were both raised in this kind of junk, um, and uh, it's it traps you. And I remember mm-hmm. it, when I was when I had my sort of turnaround or whatever it was similar to what what frank described which was he realized he was being a different person around yeah. every person um yeah. and i still do that today sometimes where it's you know when i'm around my parents i you know i pretend to be a goody two-shoes or whatever yep um and uh you know i'm trying to stop that but it you know it's all it's all so much about appearance hmm. and performance and whatnot and th- that's just what it is it's showing off um <laughs> so anyway uh rant over <laughs> yeah. we should talk about botolf botolfson's adult life but i want to take a break before we do that yeah me too yeah so we'll be right back everybody And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and James and I just played Battlefront 1 on the original Xbox. Mm-hmm. Not, not the new not one. Not the new one. <laughs> oh, no. The old one, where you can just walk right up to a spaceship and get into it. You don't have to get some weird token or something. Such a good game. Uh, Highly uh, recommended. And I feel so much more uh, at ease, actually, after killing some hmm. rebel scum. So, good. Uh... Enough about that, though. How about we move into Botolf Botolfson's adult life? <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay. Uh, so back to Botolf Botolfson. One day, our Swedish peasant farmer friend went to church. Oh! <laughs> uh, this was normal practice for him, and he was a well-known member of the congregation. Okay. But Botolf is known for being a heretic, so let's just get straight on to some good old heresy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, on one of these particular church-going days, communion was handed out to the congregation, and everybody got some wine and bread. Yes, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the priest performed the whole sacred communion ritual and explained to the congregation the concept of transubstantiation. Ah, my mm-hmm. favorite thing. You know, we have a lot of, a lot of religious terms that we've <laughs> <laughs> explained today. Uh, so, for our non-Catholic friends, transubstantiation is the belief that the bread and wine taken at communion literally change into the body and blood of Christ upon consumption. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the whole transition is seen as a glorious mystery. Is that what they actually call it? Glorious? Or they call yeah. it, what is it, like divine mystery or something? It was like one that? of those two, yeah. Okay. But it's, the whole thing's a mystery. They don't know how it happens. Mm, yes. Interesting. Mysticism, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so while communion is being handed out, Botolf Botolfsson leans over <laughs> to his friend and whispers, I don't really think this wine and bread truly transforms into the flesh and blood of Christ. It just doesn't make sense, man. Yeah. Of course, though, uh, this was heresy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Uh, the church decided in the year 1215 that communion was actually Christ's blood and body. So, ah. Botolf is treading on some dangerous ground. That is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if history has taught us anything, it is this. Don't try and fuck with the medieval Catholic Church. <laughs> they will fuck you. Yes, they will. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, but Botolf... Ch- uh, so, Botolf shared his view with the congregation, and everybody freaked out. Ah. Father Andreas, who led the congregation, quickly went and reported to the Archbishop Niels Alesson ah. what this dude Botolf was saying. Well, this Yes, of course, because it's a huge deal whether or not... This one peasant yeah, dude. this one yeah. peasant dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, now, the Archbishop Niels Alesson was an expert in his knowledge of transubstantiation. 
he had studied the sacred ritual in Germany, France, and even in Rome. <laughs> How much can you actually learn it's about mystery? <laughs> and you have to study about it in Germany, France, and Rome. I don't mm. know. Yeah. But if there's one thing we can pull from that, it's that you really don't want to fuck with this guy and his transubstantiation. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so uh, Nils Elsen immediately summoned the peasant Botolf Botolfsson to him and demanded that he repent for his heretical beliefs. <laughs> Get me, Botolf Botolfsson. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, so, Botolf was taken to the Archbishop and pretty much just shitted his pants. Oh, God. <laughs> Botolf admitted that what he had said was dangerous heresy and apologized deeply for his crime. Well, at least he said sorry. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the Archbishop Allison accepted Botolf's apology, but punished him by ordering him to apologize oh. to his congregation back home and then being sentenced to seven years penance. Wait, okay, so what does that mean, seven years penance? I have no idea. Okay, so, um, what, like Hail Marys for seven years, or what? <laughs> That's all he does for yes. seven years? I don't know. This is what I found. It said Botov could not return back to his church until after these seven years were Oh, over. okay. So I guess he was kind of just, kind of like, light excommunication, mm -hmm. it sounds I see. like. So, yeah. so when somebody is, is questioning their faith, the, the obvious thing to do is to throw them out. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, so seven years later... Uh, Botolf returned to his home church, which was still being led by Father Andreas, ah. the guy who had ratted him out to the archbishop seven years earlier. <laughs> so there's probably a little bit of bad blood between them. <laughs> Communion blood. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Jesus Christ's blood is not bad. <laughs> it's good blood. Uh, I wonder what type it is. Uh, um, type O T. Because it's a cross. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, so Father Andreas told Botolf to kneel before him and then asked, and Whoa. here's a direct quote, Well, Botolf, now I'm sure that you believe that the bread is the body of Christ. Uh. All was perfectly still in the chapel as Botolf slowly raised his head, looked the priest directly in the eyes, and then, quote, vomited out his sinfulness by telling the priest this statement. I think we should take a break, James! What? Now? Yeah, let's take a break. Uh, and we are back to we talk about dead people, and when we left off, Botolf Botolfson was neat. What the fuck? No. What is that? What the fuck was that? It's like a spaceship taking <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, okay, so when we left off, Botolf was kneeling before some priest. Yes. Uh, so the priest asked Botolf, Well, Botolf, now I'm sure that you believe that the bread is the body of Christ. And Botolf reportedly looked up, looked the priest directly in the eye, and said this. Oh. No. Oh, shit! If the bread were truly the body of Christ, you would have eaten, uh, eaten it all yourself a long time ago. <laughs> I do not want to eat the body of Christ. I do not mind showing obedience to God, but I can only do so in a way which is possible for me. If someone were to eat the body of another, would not that person take vengeance if he could? Yes. Then how much would not God take vengeance, he who truly has the power to do so? Wow, so he's saying you're really insulting Jesus by eating him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I always thought it was kind of weird, the cannibalism aspect of well, it. Well, the Roman... Uh, in ancient times, the Romans thought Christians were cannibals for a long time just because of communion. Wow. They explained Did it, not yeah. know that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the priest Allison was utterly shocked and terrified by this heretical stuff coming out of Botolf's mouth. Yep. There was a lot more that Botolf said too, but this was the only quote that priest Allison had the courage to write down. <laughs> He's like, hold on, let me get a pen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then the priest once again ran to the archbishop and ratted out Botolf. Man, what a tattletale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, it's your congregation, deal with them yourself. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Botolf was summoned to speak before the archbishop, but Botolf was like, fuck that, and never showed up to his trial. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> he just disappeared. 
Okay. Which yeah. is what you do when you piss off the medieval Catholic Church. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you disappear uh, into smoke and flame. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Or a crusader's sword. <laughs> uh, so, like, half a year later, the archbishop is touring the countryside of Sweden, inspecting the churches and such. Uh, such. Accompanying him is, of course, Father Andreas. Oh, boy. So the procession is just making its way through the crowd when all of a sudden, Father Andreas sees Botolf in the crowd. <laughs> the whole procession stops, and the archbishop's men seize our hero, Botolf. No! Oh. Oh. Yeah, Botolf was asked by the archbishop whether he did the whether he, <laughs> <laughs> what did you're, I write? You're here? having a you're having a hard time. I today. am. Uh, whether the heretical charges <laughs> against him were true. Yes, the the word he I should not have put in there. Nope. Anyway, so Botolf responded, "I have said so, and I do not deny saying it." Wow. So I got to give it to Botolf. He's got balls. Yep, Botolf's balls. <laughs> Just think about those. Yep. <laughs> Just in fact, we're gonna stop here. Pause. Think about Botolf's balls. Okay. All right. Great. So, <laughs> yeah, he just flat out told the Archbishop that uh, he denied transubstantiation, and that's a recipe for a disaster. Mm. And we'll return to this recipe, 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 recipe later on. My God, you need to get more sleep. Dude. I do. <laughs> it's uh, that cat. I'm sorry, but when you were saying, um, when you were say talking about Father Andreas and um, the Archbishop mm -hmm. touring this town, I kind of imagined <laughs> those two idiots from Trailer Park Boys who like run the trailer park. And oh gosh! One of them's yeah. like this alcoholic, sh like short ex-cop or whatever, and then the other's this like he never wears a shirt and he's always he's got a beer gut. <laughs> And so, like, they run around, like, it, asserting their dominance over the people in the trailer park. That's kind of how I imagine these two, like, <laughs> That's exactly village. how it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, let's move over to Francis Schaeffer's end and death. No, okay. Okay, so, Francis Schaeffer, obviously, made a huge impact on evangelicalism during his life. Right. He validated art and history for the religion and incited huge political upheaval. Stuff we are still seeing the fruits of today. Mm. Yeah. It's arguable that he was a turning point for America's religious right, whether he liked it or not, and his work has been perhaps misused as the guidebooks for establishing hmm. fundamentalist Christian leadership in America. Yeah. yeah. He died of lymphoma in 1984, but his legacy lives on stronger than ever in today's political environment in America and elsewhere. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I wish he could have been around today to see, to see how things are. Yeah. yeah. I wish he'd listen to his son more, because yeah. Frank... Seems like he's... Got a better head on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. You're tired, aren't you? Oh, yes. But okay. well, anyway, let's move on to Botolf Botolfsson's end in death. Right. I wonder how this ends. <laughs> yeah. So when we last left Botolf, he had just flat out told the Swedish archbishop that he did not believe the bread and wine of communion actually turned into Christ's body. No, I don't think it turns into Christ's body and blood, Mr. Leahy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this was heresy. <laughs> uh, of course. So Botolf went to trial and was found guilty for being a heretic. Oh god, the horror. Mm -hmm. But he got off easy in comparison to the historical survival rate of heretics and was just imprisoned in a clerical prison for a year. <laughs> clerical oh, <no>. prison? <laughs> That's yeah. so bad! <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's here for a year. Wow. That's... After the year, the archbishop came to him and told him that if he did not repent of his beliefs, he would be burned at the stake for being a heretic. And get this, badass Botolf's response was, that fire will pass after but a short moment. Oh, shit! <laughs> and this response convinced the archbishop that Botolf was indeed a filthy heretic, and Botolf was, went to court on April 8th, 1311, was convicted for heresy, and burned at the stake. And oh that is a total run-on sentence. <laughs> wow. So, see, uh, that's, that's some bullshit right there. He doesn't yeah. believe this one doctrine, so they burn him to death. Exactly. He's My just this God. peasant. Was... 
He had a few questions about uh-huh. transubstantiation. Yep. Burn him. Yep. After that's, clerical prison. That's it. <laughs> but hey, what a badass for standing up for something so petty, honestly. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, now, I want to point out two things I found interesting. Uh, okay. First of all, there is apparently a humanistic paper named after Botolf, and it cries out against religious oppression. Oh. So he's got a little bit of a legacy with that. Oh, I cool. wanted to, you know, read it, but it's on Swedish, and I don't know Swedish. <laughs> So, yes. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, 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 Botolf, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh, God. Oh, secondly, Botolf was the only confirmed Christian ever burnt at the stake in Sweden for heresy. Huh. However, there were a few other instances of people being burned at the stake in Sweden for other reasons. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to mention these. Okay. So, two guys named Eric Clausen and Ragvald <laughs> Odinskarl. Oh, my God. What a name. That is the best name. It's like <laughs> Ragvald Odinskarl. That's so bad. Yeah. Uh. So they were, I mean. <laughs> uh, these two guys were burned at the stake in Sweden in the 1400s. Oh. However, these two dudes were not Christians. Oh! They were followers of Norse paganism and had both given their lives to Odin <laughs> in the 1400s. Wow. <laughs> But, unfortunately for our pagan friends, Christians viewed Odin as a manifestation of Satan. <sighs> Not Loki, though. Nope. No. Loki. <laughs> yeah. uh, so these two men were both seen as devil worshippers, thus putting them under the banner of Christian heresy. Ugh. They were found guilty and burned to death. Woo! Yay for medieval religious intolerance. Yes. <laughs> yes. At least we don't burn people today. We just dox them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, okay, well. That's uh, about it. I think that about does it. Yeah. Shall we head to the surface? Yeah. We need to go to the hospital. Being animals is just kind of lame. We're small. Mm, being small is no fun. To the surface! James, how do you think you'll spend the rest of your day? Eating carrots and generally being scared of everything. Cool. I'm going to go sit on a lily pad. Hopefully this wears off. Okay, yeah. Want to hit the pub later? Uh, I don't know. If I drink alcohol as a frog, will I just shrivel up into a hoppy little prune? <laughs> hoppy. Beer. Oh, Hops. <laughs> oh! oh! <laughs> King of comedy oh, over shut here! The fuck up. <laughs> well... I think it's time to break the show. You gotta take a nap. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I need sleep. It is two in the afternoon. Ugh. It's my it's my hump hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just hump for an hour. <laughs> Put anything in front of me. Hump away. Oh God. <laughs> uh, so feel free to send all your hate mail to We Talk About Dead People Podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash We Talk About Dead People. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to donate a dollar to the VA helps tremendously. And speaking of the VA, all of our music is public domain provided by the good old U.S. government. Most of it's wartime radio from the Second World War. Now, they don't ask us for anything in return for the use of this music, except that we consider plugging for donations for the VA. So, we're going to do that. Uh, People, if you only have one dollar to give and you have to choose between this sexy-ass show and the VA, give it to the VA. But if you have two dollars, give that one to the VA and then give the other one to the VA because that's the right thing to do. Uh, Well, also, we need money. I I just paid for a year's worth of hosting costs and uh please help is that why you don't have any clothes on you had to sell those i had to sell literally the shirt off my back yeah um but with all that being said we'll close out and let the sweet sounds of francis schaefer play you out (laughs) 
my dearest friend, will you help me pick up this chair and move it to the house? Yes, let's pick it up and move it to the house. Yeah? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we gotta do this again. <laughs> we need to oh, get... sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry. Bjorn, we need to get the fields plowed before the summer. I hear you, Sven. Now, will you please help me tie up the oxen? Okay, let's tie up the oxen, yeah? Do you know any good knots? Good knots? Ah, no. <laughs> I'm not just, I'm just a farmer. I don't know knots. I'm not a sailor. I thought you were a sailor. Oh, no. In the Baltic Sea. Uh, we have a sea? We have a sea. <laughs> we do? We do. <laughs> How big is this Baltic Sea? Bigger than you, bigger than me, is, is the Baltic Sea. Oh, I see it on your map over there. I don't know how to read cartography. <laughs> I am a Swedish peasant. <laughs> we are Swedish peasants. <laughs>